This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Please Deliver Me, Lord, and it comes from Psalm 7. If you'd like to hear a previous lesson, you can listen online at our Facebook page. That's www.facebook.com slash Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Again, that's www.facebook.com slash Radio Bible Class with no spaces. Christian Radio is not free. If you enjoy this radio ministry, your offering to this ministry will aid in the expense of keeping the Radio Bible Class on the air as a witness for Jesus. By making a charitable contribution, you're helping reach people in our listening area and over the internet. You can make a donation safely and securely by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information over the phone. Our signature gift to Word Talking, P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Today we pick back up in the book of Psalms, and we're going to look at Psalm 7. It's titled, Please Deliver Me, Lord. This is a psalm that David wrote where he asked for deliverance. Now, depending on the translation you're using, we use the ESV here. At the very top of the psalm, it should say, a meditation of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. Now, if you look at the New King James Version, it translates this Hebrew word shagon as meditation, and that's where it says a meditation of David. But this word is very hard to translate. It's not really used anywhere else except in Habakkuk 3.1. And even that event is not easily connected to historical books of the Old Testament. When we look at this, we see that this is a meditation of David, and it is about Cush, a Benjamite. When there's not a good translation or this word's not found very often in the Bible, the next thing you do is you go look at the commentators. These are the folks that really study the Bible. And if you look at Adam Clark, he's one of the ones that I follow, one of the commentators that I read. He says this word translates to a wanderer. Now, the reason Adam Clark uses wanderer is because it goes on to say the words of Cush of Benjamite. And the reason why that's important is that King David, before he was really king, he had already been anointed king, Saul was king, and David ran for his life. If you study 1 Samuel, you'll see that. Cush was a Benjamite just like that Saul was. So this is probably one of the people that Saul had out looking for David as David wandered and hid from Saul. And he's come back and he's told lies on David and told Saul things that David had said and treason that he created. But whoever Cush was, what we do know is that David went to the Lord. David pleads for deliverance. He then talks about God's righteous judgment that will come. And then he finishes up with the resolution. So those are the three things we want to look at. But before I get into each of those points, let me ask you this. Did you know that there are six things that the Lord hates? Seven of them are abomination to him. Well, Proverbs teaches us this. If you look at Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, let's read that real quick. I'll be reading out the ESV, like I said, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. And it says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, 
haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and we'll, we're going to study that today, a hand that sheds innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. And so today we're going to look at a lying tongue, a false witness who breathes out lies. When we studied the book of James, we studied the tongue, and we found out that the tongue is like a animal, like a horse is what James says, and that it's unbridled. That when we learn to walk with the Holy Spirit, that we can put a bridle in there and we can control the direction in which we go. But James wanted us to learn, and just like we see David talks about today, there are those that have not bridled their tongue. Their tongue is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it does more damage as stuff comes out of it. So we'll dive in today. We're going to look at Psalm 7. We're going to look at David's plea for deliverance. Psalm 7, we'll start with the first couple of verses, and I'll be reading out of the ESV. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it into pieces with none to deliver. We'll stop right there. I'm going to read the same two verses for you out of the New King James Version, because remember I told you that they translated that to be wonder. So again, it's a meditation of David or a wanderer that's concerning Cush, the Benjamite. And what we see here is he says in the New King James, the translation reads, O Lord my God, in you I put my what? My trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces where there is none to deliver. So the first thing I want you to see is that David does a plea to God. And in this plea, it is a plea for deliverance. But look at that plea. It has, so, it has several parts to this plea. The first one you can see that is, is a trust-filled plea. And we see that right in the very beginning. It says, O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. When David was under attack from Cush, the Benjamite, the only thing he could trust was God. Every other support that he had was gone. He was running for his life. He was hiding in caves. He was trying to stay ahead of them so they didn't catch him and kill him. But he knew where to put his trust when he had nothing else. But not only did he wait to put his trust there, he doesn't ask for man's deliverance. He goes immediately to God. And he says, in you, I put my trust. What I want you to think about today is that have you ever experienced the stress of a hostile workplace? Have you had a boss or have you had a co-worker that didn't like your stand for Christ and they persecuted you? Maybe in your home life you have a significant other, a spouse that doesn't stand with you and yet they persecute you and they belittle you because of your stand for Christ. Maybe at school you've been made fun of. Someone has talked about you. They've made jokes about you because of your stand for Christ. And what we find is that David made that stand, yet he went to the Lord. He said, help deliver me from this persecution. And we see one thing that Cush the Benjamite probably is doing this because he wants to look good in front of King Saul. And a lot of times when we're persecuted, someone is trying to make themselves look better by putting you down. When people put us down, when people make fun of us, when, and when people tear on us, it makes us get frustrated. It makes us want to get angry and act out just like the people that are doing this to us. Also, it's easy to take those words that they use and to live those out, to take those to heart. 
It can cause us to stop in our tracks. It can stop us in our pursuit of our dreams that the Lord has planned for us. So as Christians, we see how does David handle this? We see that he goes immediately to the Lord. He says, help deliver me, Lord. Why is this important? Is because David knew his value and worth in the Lord. David knew that he was valued no matter what lies were told on him. David knew that the Lord loved him because of the gifts and the blessings that he had bestowed on him. And as we begin to stop listening to the world, we stop listening to others and we put our focus back on God instead of us, we can be like David and we can put our trust in God and we can believe in what he says and what the Bible says about us. The Bible says that we are loved. He loved us before we ever loved him. He sent his son to die on a cross for us. So it doesn't matter what others say about you. You are loved by God and we need to put our trust in there. We need to listen to what the Bible says and not what people say. So what does David do right here in verse one and two? First, he says, I put my trust in you. And then he says, deliver me. You know, God sometimes helps us through a trial. Other times he delivers us from that trial. And David felt like he was, that God wanted to deliver him from this trial. But then you can see that David understood that there would be severe consequences if the Lord didn't, because he says, lest they tear me like a lion. David went to the Lord immediately in prayer. You can hear this urgency in his prayer. And you know what? Sometimes God allows difficult circumstances to come into our life so it'll awaken an urgency in us so that it will respond in a way for us to go back and cry out to him. Sometimes we get our focus off of God and we put our focus on us. And God allows things to come into our life to make us turn. God knows what's best for us. So even if you're going through a difficult time right now that God allowed into your life, first thing you should ask yourself, did I turn with urgency back to the Lord in prayer? Or is he your last resort? From this section right here in verse two, Spurgeon wrote that, for the wounds of a sword will heal, but the wounds of a tongue cut deeper than the flesh and are not so cured. And what Spurgeon was saying right there is that a slanderous tongue, people that say things can be hard and they cut deeper than even a sword. A sword eventually, that if it doesn't kill you, will can be sewn up and that wound will heal. But a lot of times we take those words and we believe on them. And David knew the source of his strength. David knew, how am I going to overcome this slanderous word that's been told to King Saul? He knew that it would be putting his trust in God just like a lion that he had probably overcome multiple times while he was shepherding sheep. He is now going to be king, and he must eventually overcome the slander that will be said about him even after he's king. So we see this trust-filled plea that David gives, and now let's look at a plea of innocence. Look with me at verses 3 through 5. Here David writes, O oh Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, if, if I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Selah. So right here we see David's heart. We see that David says, if I've done anything wrong, then punish me, judge me. And a lot of times, most of us would lie. We would not admit whether or not we had done anything wrong. But David says, look, if I've done something wrong, then you punish me. 
otherwise deliver me because I put my trust in you. Not in money, not in man, not in my status. I put my trust in you. Now understand that David is not expressing that he has never sinned and that he's perfect. He's only saying that he's innocent of the crimes in which he's been charged, on the slander that's been brought against him. From these verses, we see some of the charges that have been brought, that he had misappropriated the spoils or what rightly belonged to the king he had kept, that he had returned evil for good, that he had taken toll for some generosity that had been given to him. What David understood is that Saul ultimately wasn't his judge. It was God that it was judge. And so he's saying, God, deliver me. I'm innocent of these lies or the slander that's been told about me. Even as Saul believes them, Lord, you deliver me. You're the ultimate judge. And that's one thing we need to look at. We need to understand when lies are told about us, when things, it hurts. Look, I understand that. I get that. It hurts. But we need to remember that the ultimate judge and the person that we live our life for is not the person that's lying about us, but we are to live a life that shows that they are a liar. The people go, no, no, no. Tim wouldn't do that. We should live a life that makes them out a liar, even if the people at first try to believe them. And we understand that God is our judge, just like David did. In the book of James, I told you we studied this a while back, it talks about there is only one lawgiver and one judge. And that's what it says in verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? If you go back and look at verse 11, what does James charge us with? He says, brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. And if you are judged by the law, you are not a practitioner of the law, but a judge of it. And then he goes on to that verse 12 that I just read to you. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, and that is who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So right here in James in verse 11 and 12, we see that we shouldn't slander. We should let God handle everything and that we should just put our trust in him and let him look at our heart. Let us be faithful. Let us be like David and say, hey, if I've done wrong, Lord, forgive me. Let me have my judgment. But in this place, you know my heart. You've seen my heart. Keep me honest and true and let me walk after you and prove them wrong. Now, David's prayer changes right here in verses 6 through 13. We see the righteous judgment of God. And we start off in verses 7. That's what we're about to read. We see that he makes a plea for God's righteous intervention. Look with me at verses 6 and 7. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because the rage of my enemy rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. So the congregation of the people shall surround you for their sakes, therefore return on high. What we see in these two verses first is that David believed God was a being just like us, and he had passions such as anger like us. David believed those passions were on his behalf because he was a man after God's own heart. He believed that God would be angry for him instead of against him. And you know what? It is a mistake to believe that God is without passion. He is God, and he can say and do anything he wants. And we see that God throughout the Bible has passion. Now, he's not exactly like us, but he definitely has passion. God's not cold. God's not distant. God is there. He loves us. And we see his passion and we see it throughout the Bible. 
but we also need to be careful that we don't always make the mistake to assume that God's passion are always with us or support our opinion. That can be very dangerous. As a matter of fact, there are some biblical fanatics out there that have been wrongly inspired. They've been mistaken with the assurance that God is with them no matter what they do. I won't go into naming names or denominations, but what I can tell you, there are folks that take scripture out of context and they live on that. And when they're wrong, they believe it to the point that it can even cause their death. So we see David's thought pattern where in his prayer, he says, God, be anger for me. And then he says, lift yourself up, rise up for me. See, David believed that God was for him and for his cause. Sometimes we know that God is for us, but we do it passively. Here, we don't see David passive about this. David is active and he's praying hard. God, you are for me. Step out and intervene for me. We don't need to be passive. We need to be active just like David. The other thing we see right in here is that David says, So the congregation of the people shall surround you for their sake, therefore return on high. And what we see again is David's heart. David knew that the people loved him, but they also served Saul because he was their king. And so this slander was going to create confusion. And he asked God, arise in your anger, because he knew it was a righteous anger. And he knew the anger that came out of God was a pure anger. It was an anger that did not cause sin. When we get angry, a lot of times we sin, but God's anger is never sin. Think about when Jesus was in the temple. And when he turned over the money trays, he, there was a righteous anger there. Now, it angered the people, but he was tired of the temple becoming now just a way of making money. It had lost the value of what the temple was for, a place to come and worship. They had lost the reason for the sacrifice. It was all about selling stuff to make money, but instead we see God's righteous anger. So David says, Arise, O Lord, so your congregation, your people shall surround you, so there will be no confusion. Now let's continue on in verses 8 through 10, where David gives his defense. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just for the righteous God test the heart and the mind. My defense is of God, who saves the upright in the heart. So what we see right here is that David understands the righteous judgment of God, and he leaves the judgment in God's hands. He says, God, look at my heart. Look at my righteousness. Now, he's not saying I'm perfect. But what he's saying is, look at who's at fault. I'm not saying I'm, I'm sinless. But David understood that he was a man after God's own heart and that he was, had the right intentions. Now we live in a time now under grace. And it doesn't matter how much intentions you have. We don't live under the law like David did back in those days. We live under grace. And we have to ask God into our heart. It's through Jesus' righteousness, through his imputed righteousness that we take on, that we can stand before a holy God even though we have sin in our life. This response that David has right here is hard. It's not our natural ability, but when we are focused on God, we understand who we are in God. We understand that God is for us and not against us, and we turn it over to him and we lay it at his feet, then we can do that. See, David understood that God's anger is righteous, not his. He would be more likely to sin. And so he says, I turn over to you. 
Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end and establish the just. He's saying, Jesus, show your righteousness. Do your judgment. And he's doing just like James told us not to judge. Don't judge our neighbor. Let God be the ultimate judge. He's the judge. Every one of us would agree that God's judgment is perfect and not our judgment. Sometimes we get it wrong. Even when we think we have all the facts, we get it wrong. And so David says that God judges the wicked every day. Think about when Joseph had the dream about the stalks of hay bowing down. And what happened? He told his brothers about it. His brothers were jealous. They wanted their opportunity to make things right. They didn't like that his dad gave him the coat of many colors. So what they do, they captured him. They sold him into slavery. But we see that God still had his hand on him. Because Joseph may have been mad. He may have wanted to get him back, but he didn't. We see later that he becomes the second most powerful person and he has an opportunity to get them back. He could have easily had them put as slaves. He could have easily said anything he wanted to. But what he told them was that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. See, God ultimately judges and he brings things full circle. Yes, now Joseph had a tough path. He wound up in jail because he was slandered on, he was lied on because Potiphar's wife said that he tried to rape her. We know that's not true. We know that eventually he gets out and he becomes number two. But it, again, he did not take anything into his own hands and he allowed God to do it in his time. And just like Joseph let God be the just uh, judge, so does David. Look at verses 11 through 13 with me where he says that you are the just judge. Verse 11, God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend his bow and make it ready. He also prepares for him instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shaft. And so what David is saying here is that I'm giving it to you, Lord. You're just you're righteous. Your anger is with the wicked every day. And you are keeping a record of what they're wrongdoing. And it's not left up to me, but it's left up to you. We remember that David had an opportunity to kill King Saul twice. He was delivered into his hand. Both times David wouldn't do it because he knew that King Saul was God's anointed at one time. And he says that I will not touch God's anointed. What that shows us is that David had a heart that understood God and that he put his trust in God. So the first thing we saw was David's plea for deliverance. And then we just saw that he has the righteous judgment of God called on. And now we look at the resolution, verses 14 through 17. So look at verses 14 through 17 with me. Behold, the wicked bring forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out. He has fallen into the ditch which he's made. His trouble shall return upon his own head and his violence dealing shall come down on his own crown. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praises to the name of the Lord most high. What we see in these last verses is that David knew who God was. David knew that the plans of the enemy would fail and that God would ultimately deliver him. Whether he delivered him immediately like he pleaded for or whether it took years, that God would ultimately take care of him. In verses 14 through 16, we see that David talks about how their plans are going to fall against them. It's almost like 
the Roadrunner. I don't know if you ever used to watch Roadrunner when I grew up. We would watch that on Saturday mornings and how Wiley Coyote would always try to catch that Roadrunner. And all his best played plans would wind up falling on him. It would find up turning over on him, and you would see the Roadrunner come by and go beep, beep, and then go on. He never could catch that Roadrunner. And that's what David is saying here, that the best laid plans by the wicked are going to turn on them. They're going to dig a ditch, and they're going to fall into it. They're going to have trouble that shall fall on their head. Their violence shall come down on them just like a crown put on a head. So David says what they're planning on doing will eventually turn against them. Just like I told you earlier, this was the same thing that happened to Joseph. Ultimately, his brother's plans failed. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What he said there is your plan failed. You were wily coyote, and God ultimately won. He was the roadrunner. He made me second in command. I forgive you for what you tried to do against me. And you know what? The same thing happened to David. Ultimately, David becomes king. Yes, does he have to run for his life? Yes, do others try to overthrow him? Yes, all that happens, but God takes care of David. God shows favor on David and that his wicked, those that come after him, fail. What does that mean for you and I? We're just like David. We're just like Joseph. We are going to face persecution. We are going to face slander, but God's ultimate plan for us will work if we will just trust him. If we will just put our faith in him, if we will just stay focused on the path that he's put before us and not let the distraction and the plans of the enemy distract us and take us away, don't let those plans take us out from what God ultimately has for us. So let me close with this final thought because I'm out of time. Many of the Psalms that David wrote were during a time of being chased by Saul. That is why there is a theme of persecution repeated throughout the Psalms again and again and again. I think it's important that we look deeper into these themes and see what we can learn about following after God and being a man after God's own heart, just like David was. Now, there is no reason to worry about the people who slander us because God will take care of it. We see that David states his case from the very beginning. People are pursuing him. They want to tear him apart like a lion does the prey. Now, we may never have it as bad as David did, but we will have people that talk bad about us. But we can learn from David. We can find our refuge in the Lord if we will just put our trust in him. Is there anything else that can, we can trust better than the Lord? Is money a safer decision to put our trust in? How about people? No, all of that will let us down. Only the Lord is ultimately victor. And we can be just like in verse 17. We can sing a song of praise when we struggle. Take your issue to the Lord and leave it there. Walk away singing a song of joy, knowing that God has it all and he has it all under control. Will you do that today? Will you put your trust in him? Will you give it to him? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. And we understand there will always be persecution. There will always be slander. There is none that will walk on this earth that will go through this life without facing this. Lord, I pray right now that you would teach us to ultimately trust in you, not listen to the words, not live by those words, even as much as they hurt, as deep as they hurt, Lord, I ask that we would always believe in you, would believe in what your word says about us, that we are who you say we are. Lord, that you love us like you say you love us. 
Or maybe there's one right now that you're knocking on their heart that they have gotten off the path. Maybe that there is someone that has slandered them or that has persecuted them and they have gotten distracted just like the enemy wanted them to. Lord, I pray today that they would turn back to you and they'll put their focus back on you and not on them. Lord, I pray right now that you would just bring them back into alignment. Lord, maybe there's one that doesn't know you. They don't understand this. Lord, I pray right now that today would be the day that they would call out and make you Lord of their life, that they would believe on you, that you went to the cross, you died for them, their sins, you were the perfect sacrifice, but it didn't stop there, Lord, that you overcame death. Lord, that you overcame death, and now they ask you to be Lord of their life, that they want you to live within their heart. Lord, I pray right now that they would pray that prayer today. Lord, we thank you. We give you all the honor and glories. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.